Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Counterforce podcast. I'm your host, Aug Stone. This episode, it was my pleasure to talk to a musician whose work I've admired for decades now, Mr. Ja Wobble. We're just listening to A Chunk of Funk, the opening track off his new record, Dream World. Uh, I was first introduced to Wobble's work when I was in high school. I remember someone loaned me the first PIL album, and I was just blown away as soon as I put it on by that mighty, thunderous bass line and theme. And then, of course, you got the classic uh, public image bass line. And that whole record, you know, that, that dark mood it evokes, just, uh, it's quite an experience. And then when I bought Metal Box, the second pill record, I remember I went home and listened to it and then immediately drove to my best friend John's house. I was like, you got to hear this. And we just sat there listening in awe. And to this day, I've only listened to Metal Box uh, in its entirety a couple times all the way through because it's just such a, a powerful experience. That's not to say I don't listen to uh, songs off it a lot. Pop Tones is still one of the most beautiful, unique pieces of music that I know of. And shortly after that, I bought Jaw Wobble and the Invaders of the Heart uh, Rising Above Bedlam album. That first song on there, Visions of You, that's another killer bass line. The bass line's a huge part of it, uh, but the new record once again shows what a great all-round musician he is. He handles all the different instruments in many diverse styles. Dream World is one of my favorite records this year, and every time I listen to it, I love it more. There's a tremendous energy to it, and it's got a whole lot of flair. One note, when we're talking about what we call NHS Ward Tune, that's actually the track Stepping Hill. We also got a chance to talk about his collaboration with Julie Campbell, aka Lone Lady, on their 2011 Psychic Life record. This album is one of my favorites of the new millennium, and contains one of my favorite ever songs, The Gorgeous Feel. Wobble described Psychic Life at the time as a post-punk record with modern sensibilities, and that's a pretty right-on description of it. We also got to talk about football. Earlier this week, Wobble released a World Cup song, England, Your Time Is Now, and we discussed his keen interest in film and how he recently got into painting. So without further ado... So you release a World Cup song and England go through? Yeah, it looks like I'm bringing them good luck, you know. I, I hate to admit it, I'm, into, I'm, not, I'm not a Brexit guy. I'm, uh, you know, I'm an internationalist kind of, you know, and I'm not mad on the whole patriotism things, a bit, uh, the, the, the refuge of a scoundrel and all that, you know. And I think there's a few scoundrels involved with Brexit, I have to say. But yeah, I support the England, I'm working class and I support the England football team, yeah, especially at the big tournaments, you know. Tell me about writing and recording that song. Oh, it was, a, I think... At least two World Cups ago, or it was it was around the time of the European Championships. I think it was written probably around uh, 2010. I think, in fact, and we just didn't do anything with it. And then last week, I saw somebody talking about the amount of World Cup songs, and it suddenly hit me like a bolt. Oh, I've got one! (laughs) I've got one! You know, so um, so we released it. Yeah. And just for fun, so very relaxed about it. Um, apparently, it's getting some radio play, but that doesn't really mean much with me, you know. So, uh, you know, I'd be delighted if it got, to be honest, you know, if people like it and it's, you know, people have fun with it. I mean, it's a serious punky rock song, you know. It's funny lyrics, but it's a it's a proper, uh, you know, well-recorded guitar and, and bass and everything, you know. The The funny thing is, the engineer... Is one of the best engineers I've ever worked with, Jonas Pearson, who is a very intelligent Swedish bloke. And, of course, we play Sweden on Saturday. So uh, I'm due a text from me at some point, you know. He's a hell of a nice guy, very, very talented guy, 
you know. He's actually the, I thought I was the best keyboard drum player in the world. I thought I was fantastically clever at making people think it was a real drummer when it was me playing free time on keyboards. But Jonas is even better than me. He's incredible, you know, great, great engineer. What was the best match you've seen so far? I really like Uruguay. And uh, their win, yeah, that win, they was just unreal against Portugal. Um, the move of Cavalli out to Suarez, and then Suarez looked up and hit a cross as hard as a shot, but he meant it onto Carvalho, who faced the ball into the net, you know. And I think they're the dark horses. They're the real assassins, you know. They've got that Atletico Madrid centre-half. And these, they, they write like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, you know. They're very relaxed uh, kind of style, play within themselves. And there's that sudden Latin rapier-like thrust to the heart of the ball. And it's over for you. You're you're down on your knees, bleeding, and you're you're gone. So they they're the real dark horses, Uruguay. I'm surprised more people weren't talking about them, you know. But it's been a ton of good games, you know. Uh, you know the the, uh, the the Russia game against Spain was very dramatic. It wasn't great football, but it was very dramatic. And the other night was was a very wasn't a great game of football, Colombia England, but it was it was good, you know. It was an exciting game. I thought Japan played their asses off. That was a great second half. Well, they are extremely dogged. And um, it amazes me the amount of people would talk, oh, Belgium's got the easier game against Japan. And I thought, well, Japan, they're very dogged. They're very well organized. The Japanese always have incredible fighting spirit. We all know that in anything they do. You know, um, I mean, I worked with a Japanese band for a few years and one of the, the, the keyboard player, Keiko, uh, she's a wonderful person. She we were doing a long, long sound check and there were a lot of technical issues and she suddenly killed over and fainted. And I couldn't believe it. And it turned out she was diabetic, but she hadn't told me, although we'd worked together for a couple of years. She hadn't told me wow. because she didn't want to appear weak or in any way causing trouble. And so she collapsed because she didn't have like anything to eat, you know, wow. but did would rather collapse than, than, than say, look, I really need to get something to eat, <laughs> you know? So I said, right, you never, ever do that again. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> now I know you will always, you know, and, um, you know, fantastic person. And they just did such spirit. I mean, incredible spirit, but what, I thought was impressive in that game. They got great technique and, you know, they, they, their first touch was brilliant and the control of the ball. They're very, very good. Very good. They really gave Belgium guy. I was, I was gutted for Japan at the end, yeah. you know. Yeah. Even though I like the Belgian team. And I'm a Tottenham fan, so all these teams have got Tottenham players or ex-Tottenham players. Belgium have got Alderweireld, the Tongan. Chadley used to play for us. They got Dembele in the squad. He still plays for us, you know. Um, even Sanchez the other night, you know, he's a Tottenham player. I thought he had an immense game for Colombia, you know. Mm. So, uh, I mean, for me, you know, it's a, for possibly a very fortuitous draw for, for, for England, the way it's kind of, you know, the way they, they devise it so that all these top teams are on, it's all a bit lopsided, you know. On one half, you've got Uruguay and France and Belgium and, 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 and Brazil, who are the, they're the, they're the four best teams in the tournament for me, you know. Yeah. And on the other side, you've got Croatia, Russia, England, and Sweden, and they're not the four best teams. You know, <laughs> you know they're kind of to be, they're kind of 
you know, they're just in the pack. You know, England were not much better than Colombia. You know, um, you know, they're, they're fairly equal kind of sides. And England, Sweden, you know, are going to be fairly similar kind of sides. England, for once, have got more flair probably than than, than Sweden. But Sweden are just as well organised, just as determined. They lack a bit of pace, but they know exactly what they're about. It would be a very tough game for England, very tough. Croatia, Modric is a superb, yet again, ex-Tottenham player. Great, they're a great team, but they're um, they maybe lack a little bit of pace, I think, actually, you know. And they looked a bit fatigued in that last uh, that last game, I thought, you know, against Denmark. Um, you know, they they didn't look that much better. So, you know, they're a good team, but I don't I don't see them going all the way. And Russia, maybe you never know with home advantage. It is Russia. There's something mystic about you know that nation when they get their their thing going you know, in a war, you know, they can be unstoppable, you know. So I'm, I'm loving it. It's the best World Cup for me since uh, probably 1990, which I think was Italy. Seriously, you know, I remember 2002 in Japan. At that point, you felt that um, club football was better than international football. Therefore, what's the, what's the point, you know, of having a World Cup when Real Madrid or Barcelona would probably win the World Cup? You know, and that kind of that was 2002. And since then, you know, I don't think there have been great World Cups. This is an outstanding World Cup. It's fantastic, you know. And I think VAR's good, you know. Everyone's criticising VAR here. As a Spurs fan, we really suffered at the hands of VAR in the FA Cup a couple of times this season. Um, and the England team did a little bit at times. But overall, they'll get it together. It works in all other sports. And it makes things more just. And everyone will get used to the little weight. You know, you get lots of weights in football anyway while players push each other about when they disagree about a penalty kick or something. So I think VAR's fine. It'll work out fine, you know. Cool. Well, let's talk about music then. Tell me about when you first fell in love with music as a kid. Well, the real moment um, I can actually think, you know, there's a couple of little things I remember. There was a there was a program called Animal Magic and it was dirt, dirt, dirt. It must be some famous old tune. And I used to just apparently sing that over and over and over again. I'd get up really early in the morning and be singing that song, you know. And and then my mum would buy me on a Friday a couple of – she'd buy me a single every week. So I think she swayed me into liking certain things like Jim Reeves – Welcome to My World was the first single I think I ever bought. And another American, Bell Ives' um, uh, skiffle song, uh, Froggy Goes a Courting. <laughs> so I was all really, really focused on music and very young. You know, I loved music. Uh, my mum used to play the Dubliners a lot at home, you know, so I'd hear the Irish music. Um, and although they were from Cork, you know, both sides of the family. So I went back to, you know, ancestors were, were side Cork. But the, the 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 one that I can remember being elevated by music was with the Beatles. I'm almost ashamed to say, and that was when Strawberry Fields Forever came out. And so at that point, everyone loved the Beatles. Even like my mum and dad thought they were good. They were clean cut boys. They thought they were good boys. Everyone liked them. I couldn't understand. I remember looking back, I couldn't articulate it. I just remember thinking, why does everyone like them? They're not really good. You know, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of irritated. It was something the girls liked. Girls liked the Beatles. 
Um, so I couldn't really see that. And everyone would be singing in a playground. The girls would be singing, she loves you. Yeah, yeah. It was all very British working class culture stuff. And, and then Strawberry Fields come out. My mum and dad and everyone, all the relatives hated them at that point because they said they were on drugs and this was drug music. <laughs> And um, and they didn't like Yoko Ono. She was a foreign seductress. You know, she was evil. And uh, they're all on drugs. But what I remember thinking, this is incredible. This is just makes me feel like I'm, I can fly, you know. Um, and that was Strawberry Fields. And I remember, you know, it was this, I, I, I absolutely love that, you know. Um, and that was a seminal moment, funny enough. Um, and at that time, I remember a conversation with my dad and my mum's brother, Johnny. We had our first TV set, which you rented TV sets in those days. And uh, the Beatles were on and the Rolling Stones were on. And by God, they hated the Rolling Stones. And my dad was a, a war vet, you know. Johnny had been a little bit young. He'd been in, you know, done national service. My dad was in the front line and uh, with a, he was outraged by the Rolling Stones and he I remember he said I would use them for mine clearance you know like penal battalions so that's what I'd use them for and I remember Johnny saying yeah yeah mine and I remember thinking I didn't really like the bit I remember I didn't really like the Rolling Stones I never really had to be honest that much but I, I didn't think they should do mine clearance but I um which is really a very dangerous occupation and unfair really but I um I do remember thinking if you don't like it why don't you just turn it off but they sat there drinking beer, absolutely saying they're unwashed and uh, they should do mine clearance. But anyway, the next big thing was ska music. Uh, so Desmond Decker, that absolutely smashed me, you know, um, and especially the instrumental music. So in the area where I lived, it was called Blue Beat. Um, the top 40 pop chart had a Blue Beat chart that was similar. And so... Um, and I found I would, and it was the shop was a, a Jewish guy called Paul's. So Paul had a shop in Cambridge Heath Road, and he also had a stall in uh, Whitechapel Waste, which is a market from the Thursday through to the Saturday next to a fish stall. So I always remember thinking a reggae reminds me of the smell of fish because on hot weather like this, you know, in those days, you know, smells were very pungent then, you know. Uh, market smells, you know, rotting fruit, and you know, it was very pungent smells of spices and stuff, you know, and fish. And at the end of the day, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd really smell it strongly because it would just be out laying on ice all day, you know. But anyway, that was the, the, the Trojan series and stuff, you know, and it was the instrumental tunes. I can still remember a tune, there's a tune which I keep looking for, it's not available called Witch Doctor, and that had a piano intro. which is but that Trojan I remember saying to the people Trojan they couldn't find a song but it was definitely there it was on Tighten Up Volume 8 or something and it was the second track on the album and so I haven't heard it since then and it's called Witch Doctor I'm sure that was the name of it beautiful tune instrumental I like the instrumentals and I preferred the Scar versions of uh, of the rather than the top 40 pop songs you know so that was a big thing 
And then when I heard dub music, it really just, you know, smashed me to pieces. You know, that was just like, you know, this, it wasn't music because it was so physical. It was something else. In between that, Stevie Wonder, Inner Visions, um, Sound of Philly, you know, the OJs, I Love Music, the Congas, you know, up in the mix and the strings. I preferred that. It was it was my era more than Tamala, really. I like Tamala, but Philly was just amazing, you know. So that big, big Inner Visions is still one of my favourite albums ever, Stevie Wonder. Um, and I really love Quadrophenia by The Who. You know, that absolutely, I still think that's a classic album, you know. In your book, I remember you mentioning uh, the first time you heard Marcus Garvey by Burning Spear. Yes. Was it a seminal moment for you? Oh, yeah. Well, I can still remember, you know, hearing that, you know, um, going out on a Friday night with Ronnie. And that would be played by um, Tommy Vance on Capital Radio. And of course, years later, you realise these blokes are just professional DJs. He was actually a heavy rock fan and he got the reggae gig. But yeah, and they'd have a couple of reggae kind of experts had come in, vaguely, I remember. But on a Friday night, I remember hearing that. That, you know um so i remember the first time i heard that on the radio marcus guy it was fantastic you know mm. so um you know and i'll be that was at the time i'd be going down to blues dances and everything and i just loved it 74 was uh, 75 was just an incredible like you know the renaissance in italy you had a kind of musical renaissance in jamaica for that year you know cool so before we get to the new record, there are a couple of uh, other recent projects I wanted to talk to you about. You first met John Lydon. You guys bonded over Hawkwind. Yeah, that's it? right. Yeah, yeah. What was it like working with Nick Turner recently? Oh, it was nice. It was. I said to me, you know, look, I went, I went to see you play then. Obviously, you know, he doesn't have anything to do, I don't think, with a modern lineup of Hawkwind, yeah. you know, which is, who's the other guy? Dave Brock. God, I forgot. That's it, Dave Brock, yeah, that's it. Um, but, then, yeah, when I went to see him, they still had Lemmy playing bass, you know. Um, oh. And they had Stacia, was it, the dancer? Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. So I went to see Hawkwind with John a couple of times, you know. We saw them at East Ham Odeon, which is very weird, you know. So it's cinema. We went to see him on, uh, you know, on a, on a weekday, on a Thursday night in East, East Ham, you know. It's a fantastic gig. Wow. <laughs> that's when they had the big tree up in the... Uh, on, on stage it was it so they it was very corny but i mean i really i really bought into it you have a, a, a human life it's all right there's the nuclear attack everything's destroyed but then then everything's okay the tree grows again and you're back to normal you know so uh <laughs> you know that was the, and stacy had come out dancing and it was out it was a f great show you know mm -hmm. so yeah nick was a nice guy he does free jazz now you know yeah he still tours the states doing um basically space ritual does he? Yeah, it's oh, fantastic. I didn't know. I didn't know. Right? Okay. Yeah. Because that, that's yeah, that's a great. That's the album for me. Yeah. Know, that was, yeah. I didn't. I didn't know he did that. So he still does space ritual. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I met up with him in LA last year, and he told me that he had just done some work with you. So I thought that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how he was a nice guy. Yeah, I didn't. I thought I knew he toured America. I thought it was like free jazz stuff. But okay. And uh, I want to ask you about Psychic Life because that's really one of my favorite records of. Yeah, that was a fun record. That was a deep record. I like that. You know, that was very old school kind of feeling with that. It was as if it was. She's she's only. It's hard to imagine, but she, you, know, you think of her being, you know, you, she should be 50. She's kind of 50, you know, she's 35 going on 50 or whatever, you know. Um, she's very old school, 
you know, Julie. And uh, that whole project got off to a full start because I went to meet her at Warp. I thought I was there to be a producer for her. And she, I think, thought that, uh, I think, thought I was looking for a singer. Um, so it was completely across purposes. So when we met, I, I went to Warp, so I had the meeting, and then I met her in Manchester at uh, a French brasserie in Deansgate on a Saturday afternoon. And for half an hour, we were talking at cross purposes, you know. <laughs> I'm saying, so, you know, I think I must have been saying stuff like, so look, what kind of album do you want? And she's been saying, well, it's up for you to decide. And I think I must have been saying stuff like, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, look, I'm a producer, you know, but, you know, obviously it's your record. And she was probably saying, well, yeah, it's probably your record. I was saying, well, it's really nice of you to say that. <laughs> it's your record, you know. So finally... We kind of realised the score, so we done it. We done it anyway, and uh, the first session for it was in Mark Layton Bennett, my drummer's house. He's got a little home studio, or he did have at that time. Well, he has. He's got a bigger studio now. In fact, at a new house, and um, we went over there, and we, I chose to drive across the hills for some reason, or that's where the sat nav took me, rather than the motorway. And of course, that's a very hilly. And she started to look unwell, and she said, "I, I get car sickness." It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, why didn't you tell me? You know. So, um, so I realised then, Joseph, be gentle when you're driving with her. But yeah, it was a real fun album. I, I think that post punk was such a fascinating little area of music, and yet, it, it the idea of it, that the idea was generally better than the music that was produced. You know, there were so many variations, so many kind of records you could have made back then. You could have made metal box using and put radio collages over the top of it. You know, um, you could have done spoken words. You know, you could have done so many kinds of records. There were so many possibilities, and it was so everything can't. And it, you know, you could make, you could use disco. You know, you could. It was very postmodern. Um, the post-punk, you know, um, you could mix and match stuff, you know, it was a great, you know, it was a great, you know, anti-bourgeois kind of thing, but actually a lot of it, it just, there wasn't enough good albums, there wasn't enough brave records at that time, you know, so it was nice to go back with somebody with an old school mentality, you know, she likes using old equipment and everything, you know, Julie, and um, to, uh, you know, I, I got she'd never done spoken word before, so she did spoken word, and it's fantastic, you know. Um, and we did some kind of some, some real stripped down sequence of kind of disco stuff, you know. Mm. And of course, got the pill sound going on, got Keith on a couple of tracks, you know. And there's what Psychic Life, the title track, you know, his guitar when it we managed to coax a classic. Keith Levine guitar sound, you know, so very, a very underestimated album, I think, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I think I've got a feeling that will be resurrected. It, it kind of done okay and it recouped, um, but it's, but generally I'd say it's, it's very uh, under, very underestimated. I think that will, it's time will come again, you know. Yeah. Any plans to do more with her? No, not really, you know, but, but but who knows? I'm sure something could come up. I think when you do one great thing like that, I think that's just like, hey, that's fantastic, you know, and we've talked a few times since then, but let's see what happens, you know. But I, I'm just made, I've got, I think she's really good. I really love the, um, the what is the, the, the record? I've forgotten the name of the record, but she does the spoken words, you know, and it's got like a really 
funky, distorted kind of Larry Graham kind of fast bass line. Oh, yeah. And she talks about cheese and dark rooms and, you know. I mean, she's a good artist as well, you know. I, I remember in the studio she had the big lyric book, which I really like when singers, you know, neuro- you know, these singers should have kind of, you know, all singers should be neurotic and they should all have handwritten lyrics. It doesn't work for me otherwise, you know. And if they've got scrawlings in them, that's even better. That that means they're kind of they're artists, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, and she's she's one of those people. She doodles. Bill Laswell's another doodler, you know. And he do- doodles, and um, you know, does little drawings and sketches. And so, yeah, she does these wonderful. You can imagine very dark little, you know, little kind of uh, you know pictures of cityscapes. And she was into. I mean, I quite like. Post-industrial wastelands, I think, are very nice. So my studio's next to the Ashton Canal in Manchester, and I walk up that canal, and it's the same as I used to like walking up the Grand Union Canal in London, you know. Now, it, now of course, that's just a corridor of glass and concrete, you know. But um, anyway, so that was, yeah, she was, it was a, a, a real fun album. I think that that album's, uh, yeah, it's one of the best albums I've ever worked on that, you know, it felt really, it felt like I was back in the 80s working on that album, you know, mm-hmm. it really felt focused and it's a, it's a great album, you know. What can you tell me about the song Feel? To me, that's just a, a perfect pop song. It's... Yeah, well, I felt like that, yeah, I, I felt absolutely uh, like, wow, this is absolutely beautiful and I really love the remix. Mm. Mark Lasardi did a great job on that and um you know, it's really stripped down. It was done with, uh, I've got an old Roland RS700 sequencer, which came out probably just the wrong time as people were using um, software, you know. So the big music stores that did, which I thought were fantastic, that's like Turnkey, that would sell, you'd probably remember Turnkey, was up Charing Cross Road, hmm. and they would, sell lots of like, i always loved funky recording equipment even when i was in pill i would buy like when copycats and lots of funny little recording things and wash synthesizers and make cassette collages and stuff you know i love doing that i still love basically the new albums basically kind of made from sentiment you know that's where it's coming from like the bedroom album or something but anyway it's so that was a really stripped down RS700, you know, re- as stripped down as you could get, really mechanical. And, um, you know, this, this sequenced earthy beat. And I know most artists would be, oh, gee, what does he, what's he think he's doing? This is too brutal and horrible and really naff and too simple. But Judy really got it. And, and I thought that the lyrics she did, I think, is absolutely um you know she you know with artists i mean john had that he can be john johnny rotten could be a complete pain in the ass obviously everyone knows that you know complete pain in the ass but there were times back then you know when he put the lyrics down to a thing and it's just like completes it and there's something authentic about it and all that you know when it's a when a good lyric like pop tones or something you know and it's just really real and you kind of know what it's where it's about and where it's coming from and i felt like that with phil and I can vividly remember, which I can't do with every tune I've ever worked on. I can remember my younger boy, it's so long ago now, he was still playing in a cage in Liverpool. He was playing at a cage that was like a Liverpool, uh, at a coaching thing, a Liverpool football club on a Friday night. 
in Wavertree. And I remember listening to the first mixes of that, demos of that, before I think we even went in the studio, outside that cage as he was playing and just thinking, wow, you know, this sounds fantastic. And I think the remix is even better. I talked to Mark and Mark just put some, he'd done it. Linda Lasardi, his sister's like the famous page three girl. She's a, and then she become a soap opera actress. She's in a soap opera and she's by that time he was working in her studio. So, you know, so I remember going there, uh, with Julie and she was pretty hung over Julie. I think when we went there to, 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 to do the vocal over it. And, uh, so we got, she got car sick as, as well. So, I remember her throwing up in Linda's Asadi's drive. Is what as soon as we got there in this taxi, she threw up. That's what I remember. Out in a very posh suburb, you know. So Linda comes to the door. Hello, we're meeting everyone, and she goes to throw up, you know. Um, <laughs> so that was memory there. But then the, the she liked Mark, you know. Mark, he's quite feisty. Mark, you know, he's he's really not PC, you know. Um, so I used to set Mark up with really well-placed A&R men because he could have got a lot of work out of it. And then A&R men would come in and say something and Mark would say stuff to them like, so you know what you're talking about then, do you? So you're an expert, are you? You know, you think, oh, Mark, don't do what I do. Just just be cool and these people will give you money. But um, <laughs> Bill Laswell said the same about me, unfortunately, when I met that. It's just just be kind of give you money. Bill, Bill thought it was funny, but I'd often end up criticising those people. I just couldn't resist it, you know. So anyway, so the, the, the studio was by Linda Swimming Pool, you know, and Mark was working on a lot of gay disco. I think they had a kind of, they had a, there was a gay disco revival, I think, around that time, I guess 2011 or something, you know. Um, so he was mainly working on that, So which actually was a perfect groove to be in to mm. remix our thing. You know, so uh, and I remember saying to him, "Yeah, don't make it too far away from Gay Disco. That's that's fantastic." You know, so um, yeah, lovely strings on there um, that added really added to it. So it's actually Phil is one of my probably that and the spoken word thing on there are two of if I a top twenty things I've done been involved in. Those two tracks would probably be in it. You know, yeah. I think Phil's really you know. It's an underestimated album, and that is a really underestimated track. That's as good as anything you could hear anywhere, you know. But that's the times. I think that was a very difficult period around then. I think it was it's Nadir music, good music at that point, you know, 2010, 11, 12. Streaming had flooded in. And, you know, for a while there, music was really on the back foot. It was very tough. I had to hustle very, very hard to survive those few years. That was the toughest few years I'd had since I'd stopped drinking and come back into music, you know, in like the mid-80s, the mid you know. So it was a tough little period. And, you know, it, you kind of felt that you're, you're going to do really good, good stuff. It doesn't matter how it is. You're only going to get it so far, you know. Yeah. But hey, it's okay. You know, that's okay. You know, but just for a while there, it was very, that was the first year it got very difficult to 2011 running a label. That was the first year it got to the point just for a while, it wasn't worth doing any new recordings, you know, yeah. um, and streaming had really just, everyone had gone crazy on streaming and CD sales sort of disappeared, you know. Um, and it wasn't worth spending any money at all on a new recording, you know. Um, now, I don't know why I'm touch wood and I'm probably tempting fate. 
things seem to have got quite a bit better for me, certainly this last few years, you know? So I think things are looking up now. But that, that album, I'm sure something will happen. It will be used for a sync or something. You know, it's a great album. Very overlooked. I'm allowed to say that because it's not just me on it, you know? So, <laughs> you know, I can, I'm allowed to, you know, it's not me being a bitter solo artist, you know? I think that's <laughs> a tremendous, a tremendous album and great artwork and yeah. it's a it's superb album, you know? So let's talk yeah. about the new record. Press release says it's partly inspired by Truffaut. Yeah, well, mate, only insofar as I just, Andy said, tell me some stuff. So I like Truth, especially 400 Blows. But also, I mean, to be fair, I was probably more uh, in Tarkovsky, actually, you know. Um, probably, you know, something like Solaris, you know, the the taxi driver, you know, when he's, he's son, he thinks his son's in the back of the car, the cab. Do you ever seen that scene I haven't in known. Solaris? Oh, man, it's a long, long you know those lo- like in Citizen Kane you know where you have the long uninterrupted shot and it's just basically it Tarkovsky was a master it's just it's just it's, it, I've got shivers up my back thinking on it you know it's just a, a camera in a car looking at him and his son's on the back but it's actually not really his son it's a very very deep film it's a Stanis taken from a Stanislav Lemborg and it's very gets into kind of a lot of Buddhist themes you know you know there isn't really a duality between you and the world the world is your mind you know and you know there's no self and you project you know you project reality out there and you you think it's external but it's actually your reality you know um but then who are you anyway you know it's and and so it's like reflections it's like the moon reflecting on a lake you know uh it's there but actually it's not you know it's very deep film so he thinks his son's there but i think the son's dead so the son can't be there but he thinks the son you know he's looking there and he's going through this real trip the guy and um it's just a long long shot and it just says everything about being um alienated you know uh that shot anyway so, so i've always been a movie fan and i like i loved the french films when i was a kid i got into Truffaut and Goddard, and uh, who was the guy that did Flambeau, Bob, Bob the Gambler? Um, I always forget the names of people, and the, and the, the Red Circle, you know, oh, yeah. all those films, Alan Delon, you know, um, the Flam- Bob the Flambeau, Bob, Bob the Gambler, they get Le Flick, you know, the cop, you know, they're all those Alan Delon and Catherine Deneuve uh, films. And so when I was probably about 12, they would show those films on BBC Two on a thro- on a Saturday night, and I think they'd be after the match of the day, so it was the late film, and you only had two two channels really, I suppose, at that time, you know, and um, and I got completely captivated by those films, you know, because Blood French is so fantastic at existential angst, you know, they're superb at that, you know, they make it into something to be savoured. It's like a beautiful lonely pain, you know, that's made enhanced by blue smoke of a gulwar you know i love all that you know mm. so yeah it was i i i'd go for these walks up the, you know up the ashton canal i've had i had another studio in manchester up to where i am now called road which is like an artist collective and i'd go there on 
freezing cold winters and get the heater on and I'd be the only person on the floor at these old mill in the middle of Manchester, you know, and, uh, you know, I'd go for walks up the canal and I've always been a walker in London, you know, I'd go for walks up the canal and uh, through this little post-industrial landscape and, you know, and, I'm, and, and, I've, and it, I'm really reminded of the, fe- I get the same feeling on those walks as I do watching those old films, you know. And of course, you come back and you, I literally do paint, you know, I actually paint now, you know, but I'd come back and paint or I'd come back and make music, you know, somehow you'd have that vibe and you'd make the music and just very simple melodies and atmospheres would come from those walks, you know, And, and it's been a revolution to me, this, I changed everything the way that 2000, I haven't told anyone this, so it's you know, because nobody's really asked the right questions. 2011 was a watershed, you know. My boy's at a football academy, you know, so I'm I'm taking him to the football at the time. My other boy's boxing. They're both serious musicians, but they were sporty as well, you know. Um, so I'm taking them everywhere. I'm trying to make sure I'm a good present dad, trying to keep on top of that. And at the same time, running the label was getting a bit hard. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to sell the label. I had a very good offer and I sold the label. And I don't regret it at all. I sold it to Sherry Red. They paid a fair price. It was all good, you know. But I, it was the same time I worked with Keith. I just thought, like, it feels like it's the end of the era of 30 Hertz. Um, I'm tired of how I'm working with all the setup I've got, you know, that I've been using at home with digital workstations and, um, you know, all their certain kinds of keyboards and, and, and sequences that I've, I've still got them set up, but I just got sick of it and just thought, shit, I've got to bloody change stuff. So I changed my system. Now, I don't like computers and I don't like, um, I, I, when it, I'm not good at, they say you never forget to ride a bike. Every time I get on a bike, I've forgotten how to ride it. <laughs> So I have to relearn. And I'm the same with the whole thing with a mouse. I'm no good with it. But I was okay with touch screens. So now you've got iPad Pros that have got as much memory as a, you know, as a, as a laptop, and they're quick. And it's just a handy recording device. So I've got new keyboards. I've got loads of old analog synths. So I've got that going on. I've still got my funny little bits and pieces like um, uh, melodicas and stuff. But I'm able to record my bass straight in and manipulate it now, you know, and cut and paste. Um, and it just means I can take the iPad with me on a walk even or use my phone on a walk or in any situation and just think, what's the melody I'm feeling? So it's like having a sketch pad with you that's readily available, you know? Mm. Um, so even I got taken into hospital last year, I had the phone, iPhone 7. Uh, I mean, I'm Apple's bitch, I admit it. I've become Apple's bitch. Everyone's, we're all Apple's bitch, nearly all creative people. We're owned by Apple, you know, they're clever, you know. But I uh, was able to, you know, I'm taking in, putting in an acute medical unit, and, I'm, and I was feeling good because I'm not actually feeling in pain. They've just, like, obviously seen something like, we're not happy, this is a worry, you've got to come in, blah, 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 you know. I've got for a checkup. The next thing, I'm being wheeled down. And don't get them, my wife was there, and she said, you actually like this, don't you? You like being pushed along. I said, yeah. I like being pushed along a corridor in a bed. I think it's fantastic. I'm being pushed along. I've got a phone. You're here. I've got tea's going to come. The tea's good. It's a good brew. So, yeah, I'm cool. And I actually snuck off. I, I just thought it was a regular ward. I just thought it was busy, and I come off the ward and was doing press-ups and doing some yoga and exercising on this patch of grass where all the smokers go. So all the, all the smokers are looking at me. You know those blokes? You can imagine if you said to him, you should stop smoking and stop drinking. That's why, yeah, those blokes would probably say, it's my last fucking pleasure. 
fucking hell, fuck, you know, they probably said the fuck off, you know, so you wouldn't advise them to stop smoking. So I'm doing all the exercising, and then when I went back in, I crept back in the ward, and the nurse said, where have you been? You know, we've got to take your blood pressure every half an hour, and we've got to do this, and we're like, what, you know, we have to, you know, every do tests on you every hour. I said, I went to exercise. Said, do you realise this is an acute medical unit? I said, no. I just thought it was hospital, you know. So <laughs> I got told off, you know, because I like to keep fit, funny enough, you know. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm in good shape, so don't worry. All, everything got sorted. Okay. They put me on some steroids and this, that, and the other. It was all good. But, um, and you know, anti-ulcer anti, uh, uh, medication. So it's all, it's all cool, you know. And it's all they, great, fantastic people. Viva the, the NHS, it's all good. But anyway, I'm able to sit there with a the phone, and really write a minute, you know, a little tune, which I'm then able to come out and beef up with the bass and everything. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, um, so, uh, so I'm, I'm an impressionist. I like the impressionists. I like going out into nature, into these post-industrial landscapes and making a sketch as quick as you can, you know. And I used to do that to some, some extent with the 30 hertz material. But, you know, it meant you'd go out with a sequencer, you know. You know, and I would do that, but it's, it was a bit chunkier. With, it, with a phone, with a big phone, it's easier, you know. And because I know, I know where to take it and flesh it out and make it real. And so most of the most of the recordings I do are audio, you know. So most of the keyboard sounds they're audio, they're old, they're old, you know. But I can map, I can map the thing out. So to me, if I if I did it every day, I'd get bored with it. But when I do it fairly regularly it's just a completely it's a hobby and i don't you know doing a release it's almost an aside i actually enjoy the process and it makes a wonderful uh combat alternative to being with my band in a proper studio you know or doing shows do you know what i mean yeah. uh so that's where nhs board tune came from that's right yeah but it actually was uh save the nhs save the nhs it's actually you know but i actually thought no you know don't go making it obvious. It's a nice melody, you know, and just tell people that's what it is. And maybe one day I'll put some lyrics on it. But yeah, that was that was Save the NHS. That was in Stepping Hill Hospital, you know. Okay. That's that song seems it has like a, a fun vibe about it. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, much. it's it's whatever comes. I mean, you never know what's going to come. So I'm in hospital. I've I've been told right half an hour before that we're going to keep you in, and I'm like. Uh, why? You know, like oh no, this you know this is why this that you have got to keep you in. I feel like I said, but you can't. It's my birthday tomorrow, and they said, well, yeah, whatever. You're coming in the hospital, and you, a voice says, John, they don't give these beds away cheaply nowadays. Shut up, stop being daft, and go along with it. And so it's I don't know why, but that was. But at the time I wrote it, I was. I've been pushed. I like being pushed. I'd like to be pushed around in a, on a trolley everywhere I go. I would like like that. <laughs> I like lazing around. I'm, I do like walking as well. But I would really love when I'm in ta London to be pushed on a trolley everywhere, for instance. It would be fantastic. <laughs> and I like people bringing tea. I, I don't like making tea. I love people bringing me tea. So, hey, I'm in bed. I like being in bed. I, I like reading. And I can make music on my phone. So I think I was reasonably content. And it's actually quite, a, it's like a South African pop tune. It's actually a kind of South African melody, really. I think, okay. You know, but I think so. No one else has said that. To me, 
it's a, it's a similar vibe to some South African kind of pop tunes. Yeah. Back to films. I was wondering, um, I mean, you're obviously a big film buff. Have, have you done much soundtrack work? And no, I, I get called in when it's all gone wrong. So <laughs> there, there'd been a thing years ago with a good man in Africa, which is great from a great book. I think it was a Sam Boyd or something, whatever. And it had, uh, who's the, the old 007 guy? Not Roger Moore, the Scotch guy. Yushmish Money Penny. Anyway, he was in it. He was like a doctor. Um, Sam Kidd was in it. William Boyd, that was the writer. Sam Kidd was in it and Joanne Wally Kilmer. So it should be really good. But for me, you know, the film didn't really work and it wasn't really, I don't think it was a big commercial success. But I think they, they weren't happy with the music and so I got called in to, you know, with the with the band with the invaders heart then to try and make it a bit you know to make uh, to make the music add to it a little bit so that was one the one big soundtrack i've done off my own back is a french film Fureur, the fury and that was uh a guy called karim dridi that had done a film on marseille so his stock was very high but um you know yeah again the actual it was a good, it was a decent budget for the music and the music was very well received i didn't think much of the film i think i upset him by saying that as well it was a kind of it was a bit of a sex and violence for the sake of it film i felt yeah great actors i mean the the, the these i forgot the name of the guy it's a famous french actor in it and um they were very nice to me you know they took me to paris to meet it was a boxing it was a set in chinatown in paris but it was centered around Thai kickboxing um, with a, a gypsy brother who fight. It's very improbable French, you know, the French love improbable kind of plots. So it's quite an improbable thing. And he's having an affair with another guy. It's a gangster and it was all a bit muddled up. But to me, it was like, well, this is not really kind of uh, China sort of uh, town. This is more of a Thai culture in a way, you know, more than Chinese or, or whatever. Um, but we did some fantastic music for it. You know, the music was very well received and I think it died a death at the box office. So it was a pretty poor film. So anything, any movie I get involved in, it's just, it's a terrible, it's a disaster, you know. It's a, I think there's been a couple of other things, you know, that didn't work out. But, but it was a big success, apparently, on DVD. So... I've got some DVDs of it here, and uh, the, the music's fantastic, you know. Um, if you ever go on, you go on YouTube and check out Farouk, you'll hear it. And, uh, you know, it's been used on a couple of compilations as well. I think it might be on, there's a track of it on the Jar Wobble in Dub album okay. um, called Club Scene, which for me is one of the best bits of world music I've ever done, you know. Huh? Um, it's a fantastic synthesis of kind of dubstep, and Thai pop, basically, you know, Thai come Laos kind of, Laos kind of pop, you know. So that was it. It was great. I mean, we were well looked after. I mean, the mad thing was, we sort of finished it, and then they said, right, we want you to go to a gypsy camp in Ander the Shia to research it. I said, right, I'm done. It's done. So I've seen the film. I've done the music. I've given you the music. So I'm done. No, 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 you've got to, you know, Karim wants you to follow in his footsteps. So he wants you to go there, then go to Thailand, but certainly go, I'm like, right, this is mad because I've done the music. <laughs> no, 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 you've still got to go. So 
okay, all right, I'm going to take a mate of mine, took a guitarist I was working with at the time, and flew out. Um, and we travelled around Cadiz and this, that, and the other. Went to this gym. It's a fantastic experience. I mean, it's proper gypsies dancing up on the table in front of us. Great food. Incredible music. Meant a lot to me because Invaders of the Heart, the name, comes from – it's a gypsy t- name. You know, it, it, it was it come from a wonderful documentary where the gypsies had come out of Rajasthan. Some went through Europe, through Yugoslavia and Stoiki, Macedonia, and the others came through the Middle East and come through Morocco and all that, and over the straights were into the end of the chair. Both parties met in the end of the chair, you know. And um, so be it, and that, it was a two-part, it's on YouTube, on YouTube still, a, a Romany trail, BBC documentary in two parts. It rocked my world. It was one of those huge things to me, you know. And so going to one of those proper gypsy camps was like, this is fantastic, you know. So I loved it. But then I, re- I found out why. The geezer had promised it to some local musicians, the soundtrack. So he, I had to go there and then, oh, it's up to you. It, uh, he, they tell them. He'll tell you. And I'm like, lads, it's already done. So, you know, I mean, they weren't the real the, – the guys he promised it to were not gypsy guys. They were Spanish guys living in, uh, in, in Sevilla, you know. So they – but they weren't happy, you know. Um, and I realised they were really like salt. And of course, I realised yet again I've been played a little bit. You know what I mean? But but it was all done by then. It's like lads, we're done. It's all money spent. It's all done. It's all put away. But anyway, the the music got good reviews with the uh, apparently uh, through the newspapers in France. And I think in the end, it's one of those movies did well because because of all the sex and violence in it. Great film sets. It was a great experience. You know, so it's all good. You know, off the new record, La Route Sans Fin. That's very cinematic. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, and that was where I just felt, cool. this is this is like, you know, it was off the back yet again, off the back of a long motorway journey. And uh, and I've done, obviously, you'll know that as a musician, you do these very long journeys, sometimes through Spain, sometimes through France, sometimes through California, you know, interstate highways, you know, I'm on the motorway in this country a lot. And it was a long, long motorway. You get kind of zoned out. Like, and you feel like suddenly like you've always been on a motorway. And I thought, God, this is like a true faux feeling, you know, which these bleak bridges, you know, you know, you're going under these bleak bridges on this endless motorway. And it's like, God, you know, I feel like the kid at the end of 400 blows, you know, there's no resting place. You know, this is all transitories, which is very American, you know, and I think there's a real link. It's no wonder the, the French were the only other nation to make noirs as convincing as the Americans. In fact, they the French deal with extreme noir. I don't know if you've ever seen a series, uh, Brad Branco, which is uh, it's a, a cop series. It's a noir. It's 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 so depressing. It's fantastic. You know, only the French would do it. You know, everyone looks like they need a shower in it. Everyone needs a wash. Everyone's just pissed off. Uh, the main guy's called Eddie. Eddie, you know, um, it's a bunch of cops who really sell close to the wind. They're always being investigated by the investigative cops who are even more corrupt than they are. And uh, they completely, uh, you know, break the rules and everything. And the great thing about this, no one smiles. 
the only smiles I laugh at is cruel laughter when someone's being tortured or somebody's had the last laugh on somebody. You know, it's all very, you know. And so, anyway, that whole thing with noir and, and alienation, you know, um, you know, which I think the French have obviously looked at that the American noirs and just really taken a lot of that. I I think you know they they kind of went from it's a very French thing goes to America, comes back again, you know, and they make, and they do, they kind of do double noir to French, you know, they really noir things up, you know, like that, that, what's it, the film, to the scaffold, you know, that they use the Miles Davis, you know, when they do noir, they really do noir, you know, and, um, you know, they really get into it. And, uh, so yeah, it was on this drive and you just kind of think this is like a sort of true, this is a a true foe moment. And I just thought this has got to be a French title, you know, and, uh, sitting there, you know, and I I just put most of it down on, uh, you know, again, you know, I've got a phone and I've just got headphones on. In fact, I had the iPad actually, as I was recording that in this car. So, you know, that's where you got the track started. You know, yeah. Cuban dub. I mean, that's I, that's a really cool tune. It's got a lot of flair. It's like melodic and pulsing, but yet it's really relaxed. I was wondering what you're trying to evoke with that one. Ah, uh, well, you know what? I can give you a story and a spiel with every that. Uh, God knows that's off the back. I could show you the accompanying photos. I think they're actually on the cover. It was done in winter. It's grey. It's raining. We're in the northwest of England, you know. And I've come back to the studio, and I'm like, fucking hell. Why, why am I writing Latin music or something with a Latin upbeat feel? But that's what came, you know. I suppose one thing you, you're kind of thinking, well, I've got a Latin feel coming. Let's make it kind of a dub bass bottom end, you know, which you don't hear much um, and make it quite convincingly kind of, kind of Cuban Latin kind of feel, quite convincing, but really, um, you know, with that heavy, heavy bottom end going on as well, you know. What are your feelings about Jocko? Pasturius? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I was a big Weather Report fan. So I love him. I think he's fantastic. Very, obviously, he, he was beyond the bass player, you know? Um, he was beyond the guitarist. I mean, he was something else. Uh, that band with him and Zawinol and Short. I mean, I saw them a few times. Erskine, Pete Erskine. Wow. You know, I mean, Black, black Market still. Return to Forever, Chick Corea. I love all that shit. Yeah, I'm a 70s guy, you know? So Jacko was just... Yeah, it's just something else, you know. You know, I listen to a lot of Weather Report, and you know, he's playing this. I mean, not only he's playing, but the sounds that he uses, fantastic sounds, you know, the effects, the flanging and stuff he uses. So, yeah, massive chat fan. Yeah, tell me about a chunk of funk, the opening track. Um, well, that was just very just another, another walk up the canal, and you want to do something funky, you know, and so you just end up doing. You know, you just end up doing, uh, you know, putting down some kind of real, the kind of thing you would love to have heard in 1983 in Danceteria, you know, or Paradise Garage, that kind of, you know, the loft thing, that era, mid-80s New York. That's what you'd want to be hearing, those keyboards. So I just, I just, yeah, put that together, put a bit of flange on the bass, you know, worked a lot on the bottom end. So you've got three or four different bottom ends sounds going on cut vocals up, tune vocals, you know, got just exactly the right kind of Jupiter um, kind of keyboard sounds for those lines and kept it very economical. And the great, the band I work with, they're great players. There's lots of drum fills going on, you know? And so what's nice when you work 
your own is thinking, right, I'm not going to have many fills. I'm not going to have many fills. I'm not going to have many. I don't care. I'm not going to bother to make every two or four bar pattern resolve, be musical or have a funny, clever thing at the end. You know, I'm just going to have this thing of just a very economical, utilitarian disco funk tune that's just that is just the right side of machine like and i think because i was thinking like that is why i ended up segueing it into the thing at the end that's very euro german but of course the germans are the most pared down there's no wonder homeopathy comes from germany you know they pair everything down to the smallest thing they can what is it about eighth note octaves on the bass that just always works I don't know. I mean, it's funny. I still go through the stupidity of, of talking too much on the bass. And I've done it just recently, the last week or two, because I've got another album recorded of solo stuff. And I've also got a poetry album that I've done with the band. And there's also some other instrumental music that I've done with the band. So we've got a ton of stuff. And just recently, I was doing stuff with the bass and just thought, just do the bloody octaves. It always sounds best, you know. It just sounds the best. It's like a, a classic sound, you know, whereas you're doing fifths and thirds. It's just too fruity, you know. You know, it's like, it's literally like when you over-season, you know, soup and it's just you've got too many conflicting things in there. Keep it simple. Octaves are superb. Pop tones, you know. Yeah. yeah. What really struck me about the record is just there's, a lot of energy to it like tell me about the band it's it seems really powerful well this this new record yeah it's me it's only george it's me i'm doing everything oh, really? that's it it's, it's a real solo record george plays piano on I've, i put all the parts i've got george to come in and redo some of the piano solos which i've done i've sequenced i kept some of that stuff actually some of it is still the sequence so i've got george to come in and give it a human feel on the auto uh, sense thing. And uh, he is also on Havana. He plays the solo piano on Havana. And I sampled a bit of him from that and used for the title track, Dreamworld, that little bit of piano. It was actually from the auto route, actually. It was some of the piano. And I put a heart to it, you know. But that's all me. Yeah, it's all, it's all me with the keyboards and stuff and, you know, it's just a complete because because I've been working with the band so much, you know, and we're off to work with Bill Laz. So I've got off to work with Bill Laswell with the band in October in New York. But there's an album that I'm going to call Words, which is my I'm doing poetry, but with the band playing, you know, which is it's heavy. It's got a five four thing on it called Beating Butterfly Wings, um, which is a poem as well, and it's something else, you know. So we got a ton of stuff coming out, you know. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the Bill Laswell uh, stuff coming up. We got three-year work visas. So uh, the boys said to me, we're going back to America. And I said, well, the money's always tight there. But yeah, if you want to go. I said, well, we'd like you know, to record there. I said, well, we can go with Bill. Bill will say, yeah, you know. And I said, oh, well, let's do it. You know, can't we do a pledge campaign? And I said, I said oh, do you know what? I don't know. I never thought of that. Yeah, okay, let's do a pledge campaign. So uh, it was really there. They came to me and said it, the boys in the band. And they, they, they're, good, they're really good players and they're good lads. So that's how it came about, you know, uh, basically. So um, I think it's made, I'm hoping there's going to be one or two very special guests, which I can't really say. Them. I don't want to hex that, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's all. Uh, we've got a show in Canada. Then we fly to Brooklyn, do a show there. Then we go in the studio and then back. 
Ugly Comeback, I've got an art exhibition. It's my first art exhibition, which is in the Hague in Holland. Oh, nice. Which, yet again, is totally, a, I never expected that to happen, you know. But they saw some of my paintings with the covers and said, oh, would you come to Holland? And I said, yeah, fine. Okay, so we've got that going on, you know. How'd you get into painting? Um, <laughs> it's so funny. I've got an art studio. That's how it happened. So I've got an art <laughs> studio, you know. Um, and uh, I've got it actually just to write poetry because I've done a poetry in that difficult period in 2011. I did a poetry book and it cost me quite a bit of money to put together because it's all hand, hand banged and blah blah blah. It sold out actually, the book sold out. And, it, and now I haven't got one, I think they're like selling for a hundred quid or something now. These books, it was like a limited edition, but around that time, I primarily I used it to write poetry. But I've always wanted to paint. Well, certainly last I really I got it, I didn't get into painting until I went to university as a mature student in 1996, and that was really my introduction to art, to be honest. And I really got so I really got into art, and I really fancy just painting. So okay, there's a guy opposite me who uh, who paints, who painter, who's from London, from East London. And I became friends with him and, you know, and I just said, I, just, I, I really want to paint. And he cut you know, so I started doing stuff. So I did some impressionistic kind of stuff and that's fine, you know. And, and But it was exactly the same as when I played bass. I got a book, So You Want to Play Bass, and it had songs like the bass part to American Patrol in there, you know. And I started to learn American Patrol and learn how to read music. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to do this. I know what I want to do. I just want to make patterns. And so it was the same with painting. I thought, I know what I want to do. I actually just want to make geometrical shapes in the same way, essentially, I did with the bass lines. So I just made these quite com complicated, complex kind of symmetrical patterns, you know, and, uh, and asymmetrical patterns. And that's what I started to do, you know, and... I must admit, you know, you've done lots of them now, and I and I paint tower blocks because I grew up opposite three big tower blocks. They were the, the, amongst the first three tower blocks in the country, you know, um, where you had high-rise living. You know, they had slum clearance, and they moved people out to Essex, and they put them in these big high-rise flats, you know, and it was really good. And then they were considered really bad, and then they were considered really good, and now they're considered really bad again because of Grenfell because it was a disaster and they can't believe that it looks like, you know, apparently the outside of the building was inflammable, I believe, is what was reported by some people, which is incredible, you know, thing to, to happen. Because it was always considered when you had a plain concrete building, it wouldn't spread. So anyway, I'm, I'm taking, I just want to kind of, I use sprays and various things to paint these tablets, you know, tab blocks, because that's the environment I grew up in. And I must admit, there's a vibrancy. I look at them and just think, well, there's an energy there. And that's all you want with art. If it's music or that, you can sense some energy, some authenticity, you know? Yeah. And that's why Jackson Pollock had that, you know? And I think, interesting enough, that's the correlation to me between post-punk and a group like Pill and the abstract expressionists, you know? And they always say, don't they, that the music follows about 30 years behind the art artists which kind of makes sense and i think the whole nihilistic kind of outlook we all had in public image you know we may, we may as well have been those crazy abstract expressionists you know so anyway 
I think I've got a bit of that in me. Yet again, like my solo music, you know, when I make like these albums on my own, I um, I just want to, you know, I, do, I, I just want to put something out and be creative, you know. So, you know, so I've got stacks of these paintings and I was very genuinely surprised when the Dutch people came and said, we like these paintings, we want to put them for sale in an exhibition. I'm like, you know, I'm actually thinking, this is probably a joke, it's probably somebody I know, you know, and uh, but it's for real, apparently. So that's all happening in November, you know, yeah. I want to ask you about Strangeland, because that is a classic wobble bass line. It could have just been because yeah, yeah. it goes up in a fourth, but it reminded me of theme or... Uh, that's right, theme. yeah, that's right. It's exactly, exactly right, yeah. It's just me relaxing. In a kind of strange land, it could be called no man's land. It's very kind of that modal kind of vibe, really, more than anything. And you're just relaxed and you're in the middle of, you know, and and you're taking the same line and you're just coming back at it in different ways. So it keeps, it goes off somewhere else completely and then comes back again, right? Goes yes. into that big, long kind of dub section in the middle. But yeah, it's just, you know, there's a lot, a lot of focus went into the recording and the playing of the bass. So it's, a, it's about as heavy as you can get with that kind of line, but with a good sound. Unusually for me, you know, I've gone back a little bit actually to how I was in the, with Pip, um, where you've got, you're pl across the four strings, you've got a good sound, you know. You're not just concentrating on the E string, you know. You're, you're, it's heavy, but you're making it very a very musical sound as well, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and thinking of how, so was, I was actually thinking very much of Pill when I did that. You know, if I'd stayed with Pill, I think that's where I would have liked the music to have gone. You know, into uh, or if I'd, uh, uh, you know, if if it been possible, you know, if John had been more reasonable, you know, very, like, you know, back in two thousand and, and and twelve or whatever it was, you know. I would. Uh, that's the kind of area I would have. I would have taken stuff into. You know, you get a little bit of that similar kind of vibe when I did the thing with Keith around that time, 2012, uh, with New Kid on the Block. New Kid on the Block, I think it's called or something. You know, New on the Block or something. And there's a there's a vocal number called Ying and, Ying and Yang as well. And to me, it's got similar. You know, that kind of way it modulates. Mm. You know, yeah, it kind of leans it towards rock and. You know, and there's a there's a kind of, at the same time there's quite a relaxed feeling with it. You know, it's quite it's neither one thing or the other, but it's quite relaxed with that. You know, it's kind of dub, but it's kind of rock as well. You know, and it's kind of R and B ish as well, but it's not leaning towards any. It's very relaxed in its own way. You know, yeah. So I'd, and that to be honest with this album, I was a little bit more concerned about this one than others because because of this very reason. You know, it's absolutely solo. And you're doing stuff that you you know you think hey maybe people won't with something like Strangeland they'll just see that as a nothing track they'll oh, just see it as a you know what's that about that's got nothing going on you know they might miss it so I'm glad you say that you know now it seems to be being quite well received with punters seem to really like it which is which is nice you know so yeah it's totally a journey I mean yeah well that's it yeah I mean I I you know. I really worked long and hard. I did that thing I haven't done for ages where I had actually six, probably 16 tracks 
And I whittled it down to nine. I had to be disciplined in the line. That's enough. Don't do too much. Hold that one back. I had one track called The Inauguration, which is a really synthy kind of 80s, early 80s kind of synth, quite complex, minor key. And that was, I wrote, the, I watched The Inauguration of Trump and, uh, and, and did that, you know. And it was, it, it's a really good soundtrack to it, if I say so myself. You know, when they're doing that weird walk, you know, you know, walk, and it's like this is really heavy. This is this is like Sin City. You know the film Sin City. Yeah. You know that's what all the the world leaders are, remind me of Sin City dudes now, right? Even Macron. <laughs> you know, you know they all remind me of Sin City kind of leaders because it's kind of parody, isn't it? I suppose. You know, it's all you know. Trump's a bit of a parody of sorts, isn't he? So you know. So my my standard last question is. Say you had stolen a space shuttle and were flying it directly into the sun. What would you want well, to be? Which is a beautiful. What a be that's this is Tarkos. This is Stanislav Lem. Okay, this is Stanislav Lem. Yeah, fire away. What would you want to be listening to? Oh man, I mean, I listened to Arvo Park. You know, uh, for Alina, the album. That's all I listened to now. And for a few years, all I listened to was Harold Budd. Uh, the room, you know, so it's very modal kind of, yeah, again, French Debussy, it's like cathedral under the sea kind of thing. I think for something like that, I'm, I'm I mean, I'm going to have to go for the Ligeti, really? you know, because I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking of the black hole, you know, with, with uh, death, with 2001, you know, and that's Ligeti and, and the micro, I'm, I'm thinking it would have to be microtonal and you're dying, but you're dying and it's, Stockhausen, actually, because it's a Stockhausen thing. It's a Wagnerian. What an image of going into the sun, the blazing sun. It's so symbolic. Do you have something really quiet, or do you have something really big? I guess you're going to have something really quite big and quite tonal, you know. Um, you know, real, um, I, I guess I'm going to have to go away from French into German. It's going to have to be a Stockhausen, Wagner thing because it's gonna you, you're gonna it's gonna be roaring hot it's gonna be roaring the whole thing's gonna be roaring you're burning up you're dissolving into into the cosmos so it's it's quite grand really you know so i think kind of something microtonal stockhausen that kind of thing yeah, yeah. good question thank you yeah it's not an unappealing it's not an unappealing we're all gonna die that wouldn't be a bad way to die actually you know final place of glory yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You got a blaze of glory, and you, you know, you're completely, uh, yeah, engulfed. You know, itself disappears. Yeah, you know, brilliant. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. This has been great. Lovely. Oh, thank you, my friend. I really enjoyed that. And I'll be posting some show notes up at www.thecounterforce.net. I can highly recommend reading Wobble's autobiography, Memoirs of a Geezer: Music, Mayhem, Life, which came out in 2009. And definitely check out his new record, Dream World, and his collaboration with Julie Campbell, Psychic Life. I'm going to leave you now with the remix of Feel that we were talking about from that album. It's one of my favorite songs of all time, and it's such a perfect pop song.